This is Transmission 8 of the Cosmic Anthropology Broadcast System. Today's podcast is entitled A UFOlogical Deep Dive with Red Pill Junkie. Red Pill Junkie is a Fortean scholar and UFO naught and a bunch of other things who's been writing online for many years and he is now one of my fellow co-writers at the Daily Grail. He's been there uh, a lot longer than me and I wanted to have a big discussion about UFOs and ufology and it's, you know, nature is the modern mystery of sorts. So I asked Red Pill and he said yes. And then we had this chat, and it went on for a record two and a half hours. So you might want to listen to this in chunks, or just, you know, soak it all in. We discussed such things related to ufology as the X-Files, the Invisibles, the Matrix, disclosure, which is the idea that uh, governments will, you know, open the the book of secrets and tell us everything about aliens and ufos and what happened at roswell and blah 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 yoda is a gnostic teacher is the cat bus from my neighbor totoro a ufo and basically a whole bunch about jacques valet because he's amazing and a little bit about spielberg and ancient astronauts in film That is the rundown. I'm going to stop talking. You're going to be listening for a long time. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. Um, thanks for coming on, uh, Red Pill Junkie. And, oh, my pleasure. Uh, um, so let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt my most professional podcast ever with you. Just so you know. Just so you know. It will be a waste because I prefer informal conversations, man. I'm not I'm not really interested in interviews. What I'm interested in is having interesting conversations with intelligent people and that's why every time someone asks me to to come on a short podcast when I, which in which i know i'm going to have uh, a good conversation i always jump in because i rarely have the chance to speak about the sort of stuff that interests us you know with people uh, close to me you know geographically speaking i have exactly the same problem <laughs> so <laughs> We're both um, we're both in the south, technically. I mean, are you in, are you south of the equator? Let me just check a map real quick. No, technically, Mexico is part of North America. Oh yeah, it is too, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we have this wow. thing called NAFTA. <laughs> I've I've failed immediately, haven't I? <laughs> no, no. Deep background research. No, no, no. It's it's a common misconception, and you know, I mean. From a point of view, Mexico is more related to South America than North America. I mean, the language we speak, the traditions we have, I mean, the, uh, 
the ethnicity we share with the other countries that were at some point colonies of, of the Spanish Empire. So yeah, it's it's understandable. Well, now that I've failed from the beginning, let's um, let's rewind. <laughs> now, of course, we we both write for Daily Grail. Well, um, I, I I try to write whenever I can, but to be honest, the last two years I've been such a slacker. Almost mm. embarrassing. Every time someone addresses me as, "Oh yeah, this uh, red pill junkie, the uh, the prolific blogger," and if prolific, man, I'm such a I'm such a lazy bastard. <laughs> well, you're doing all right, in my book. Okay, thanks. I mean, I, I'm trying to to uh, see myself as going for quality instead of quantity nowadays. Definitely. Well, there's, yeah. you know, there's a lot out there now, so mm -hmm. quality stands out. Exactly. But um, do you want to tell people where, what your uh, your footprint is? I don't My even know. Foot footprint. Digital footprint. Daily Grail, where else are you at? Oh, where else I am? Uh, well, I occasionally, seldomly write for Mysterious Universe, the famous uh, podcast show broadcasting from Australia, the land of us. Uh, I used to write for uh, the blog of the Intrepid magazine, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, this magazine that is published by Scotty Roberts, the guy who uh, co-founded the Paradigm Symposium. But I don't know, I guess... Uh, I guess I'm I'm pulling out of that, and well, I've I've, I've contributed to a few other sites. Uh, uh, I think I've submitted a few articles for Robbie Graham's Silver Silver Screen Saucers blog, but you know that was like uh, like a special guest kind of thing, not really a, a, a regular regular geek, and. I'm also a, a, a semi-regular host on the Grimerica show. Uh, That's a podcast that is that is mm. produced by my friends Darren and Graham in, back in Canada. And well, I guess you know uh, I'm also I've been appearing quite oftenly now in Saraya Askat's show. Where did the road go? So I don't know. I, I guess I've become something of a regular figure in this uh, small niche that we call the 14 blogosphere and I'm quite happy with that you know I, I like that because I'm I I enjoy participating with this small group of you know irreverent iconoclasts that are interested in the kind of stuff that I'm interested in that's a great description irreverent iconoclasts <laughs> yeah I heard you on Gramerica it was really good I haven't heard the other one. Uh, where where did the road or where did the rod? Where did the road go? Yeah, road it's go? A, um, this guy. Uh, it's a radio show. I think it's aired from Ithaca, New York. Uh -huh. I think it airs every Saturday at eleven p.m. So he also has midweek podcasts, and I think that's the one that's in which I'm. Uh, uh, in which the conferences we have uh, every other week are released. 
you know, that he, Soraya likes to make uh, round tables with people like myself, Joshua Kutchin, who is the author of the really incredible book, A Trojan Feast, Michael named Hughes, who's also a, a, a prolific author. So we kind of like get together and then we start to talk about, you know, any any particular subject that we, Saraya likes to, to, to tackle uh, on that particular week, you know, and we get going, you know, having, having a nice chat. Excellent. That's basically the plan here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've titled this The UFOlogical Deep Dive with Red Pill Junkie. So I guess we should start talking about UFOs. Is, is it cool if we just focus on that for a while? Of course, yeah. I mean, UFOs it still is my first and foremost love. You know, it was my gateway drug <laughs> to all of this stuff, you know. I guess it's a very natural thing, right? You know, as a young kid, maybe... I don't know if I'm wrong in saying, but maybe it's a, a young kid thing, you know, to be captivated by the thought of flying saucers coming from another planet, you know, visiting us and maybe, you know, contacting us and maybe taking us to, to other places. Perhaps because I was born in 1973, which is, by the way, the, the great year of the humanoids and... and then I was uh, born, I was really young when Steven Spielberg released uh, E.T. The Extraterrestrial, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Cocoon, all this stuff that was like being pumping up into the popular culture. And so it was so natural to think, okay, of course, these weird things that people look into the sky have no, it's obvious that they are like this, the structured metal spacecraft of all these uh, extraterrestrial explorers that are coming here because they are interested in us, because maybe they want to help us, or maybe they want to do harm to us, you know, maybe they want to invade us, or maybe they want to harvest us, you know. And uh, that's like your initial tiptoes into these really deep waters, that is, the UFO phenomenon. Nowadays, uh, that, that have been diving into this really murky, murky pool, uh, I'm no longer uh, consider myself someone who ascribes to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I think that the UFO phenomenon is way too complex, way too weird to be explained simply by uh, extraterrestrial visitations. So uh, it's interesting. It's, you, the UFO phenomenon is the kind of stuff in, in which the more you look into it, the more you investigate, the more you study and the more you know, <laughs> the less you understand. <laughs> you, know? you end up like going almost in reverse. But that's cool. I mean, it, it the effort has its own rewards, I, I've come to understand. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, this is definitely where I want to go. Um, I'll just comment. So, so you're just a couple of years older than me. So we've, we've had a similar um, childhood imprint. Mm -hmm. So I, like I, I remember fondly going to the drive-in and seeing E.T. as a small child. Mm -hmm. It's interesting the way... Um, as I've been exploring recently um, on, on, on the Daily Grail, how the narrative has, has built and evolved mm -hmm. over time. 
Um, did you see the poster for the new Galen Heard show? It's like alien terrorists, uh, hunters based on Whitley Strieber's books. This is a what? A, a, a TV show? Yeah, it's a new sci-fi series based on is Whitley, am I pronouncing his name right? Whitley Strieber as Whit alien hunters? Whitley Strieber. No, I have. I didn't read uh, that book. You know, with Whitley Strieber, I remember reading Communion when I was still in high school. <laughs> I remember uh, sleeping with my night lamp on for six months after reading Communion. You know, I remember like really being really shocked and really nervous every time I could see like a really realistic depiction of the typical gray alien with the big almond black eyes. I remember reading Transformation, which was also a really interesting book. I remember reading Majestic, you know, this novel he wrote about like this, like, uh, I don't know, dramatization of the Roswell incident, which I thought was really, re really interesting spin, you know, without giving too much spoilers, but it's the idea that the whole Roswell crash did happen, but it was a staged event. And uh, I remember, I, I have read some of his later books, uh, like these novels he wrote, like uh, based on, on his uh, experiences, The Greys, 2012, The War on Souls, and other non-fictional books like The Key, which is a really small, small book, but really, really interesting. I, I really encourage people to, to get a copy of that one. And also the last one, well, not the last one, but the one before the, uh, the book that was recently released, co-authored with Jeffrey Kripal, um, that the the what the, was the name of this title the the solving the communion enigma or something like that I read those books but I don't I don't remember reading Alien Hunters. But you've read everything else basically. No, not no, not everything else because I didn't I didn't read um, Confirmation mm -hmm. and I didn't read uh, I think it was the name is the Secret School, but. Mm -hmm. I think I have a fairly good assessment on Whitley Strieber's um, story and the thing that he's been uh, proposing ever since he came out of the ufological closet with communion. Uh, I've, I've, I've been uh, reading, very sporadically, I, I, I might confess, his blog, Unknown uh, Country, and I have listened to his podcast Dreamland from time to time. I'm not. I'm not a subscriber. I remember trying to subscribe to uh, to Unknown Country many many years ago, and I couldn't do it for some reason. It didn't allow international subscriptions. So I was like, "What?" So I didn't try then uh, uh, afterwards, you know. But uh, I think I understand where he's coming up, and I. I really like Strever's approach, and I think I, I, I respect him personally, even though some people don't, uh, probably because he's so uh, ambivalent 
with his approach to the phenomenon. Sometimes he says, oh, no, no, the aliens are here to save us, the angel, and then the other they say, well, no, but they're really demons and they're monsters and they're trying to, 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 to devour our souls. And then the other day will say, oh, no, no, but they're, they're really spiritual teachers giving us really hard lessons and there's so much we can learn from that. And he's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That to me says that he did experience something real, whether he's managed to integrate it, integrate this uh, tremendous experience that could easily have destroyed any other individual is well it's another argument i mean I, i'm not sure i could have fared differently i i I'm, sometimes i think that if i had gone uh, through the through the things that he went uh, through i mean all the experiences and, and and the things in the cabin and even the things before uh, the experiences that are were are told in in communion and then how he was belittled and mocked by popular culture and he went into bankrupt and all that. He had to sell his apartment in, in New York. He had to sell the cabin in, 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 in upstate New York where all these experiences happened. And then he had to, went to, had to go back to Texas. And now, uh, sadly enough, his wife, Aunt Striever, has passed away. If I had gone through all of that, I guess I I would have either ended up in prison or in an insane asylum. You know, so um, I mean I think that people should be a little more empathic and and compassionate with with uh, with someone like Striever. I mean, it's really really difficult to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, especially if you go through something that seems to defy so blatantly our concept of reality definitely definitely and that's the the core of it all isn't it yeah i think um so you've already sort of just mentioned in passing about five things i really want to dive into mm -hmm. um so instead let's talk about the x-files okay <laughs> did you watch the latest season the miniseries oh yes and i enjoyed it you know mm -hmm. i mean the first episode was kind of so-so. It felt like uh, a remedial test of Ufology 101, you know, like trying to catch up with whatever has happened uh, on the, in the field in the last, I don't know, 12, 10, 12 years after the first series ended. It was too much, too much name dropping and too much terms. Yeah, I, I, I felt like tired, you know, of all the things that they were trying to incorporate into to the story. The second one felt more at ease, more felt more like the old X Files. The third one was excellent. I probably was not only my favorite uh, new episode, but maybe my favorite X File X Files episode ever. I don't know. It was, wow. it, I it, yeah. It felt so like uh, Mulder as Scully being so feeling so much joy of being getting back together, right? You know, getting back into their old antics. You know, when when, when Scully said, "Oh, this is the, this is my Mulder, right? You know, this is the, the Mulder I I love." You know, being paranoid and being driven and being you know so much involved and and self doubting. 
The fourth one was pretty good also. Yeah, there were there were many things that I really enjoyed. Probably the, the, the thing that I didn't enjoy that much was the ending of the last episode. You know, these cliffhangers that Chris mm. Carter's used to pull. I'm not sure that's the way that you need to, to run a quote-unquote TV series uh, nowadays. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm not sure if that was the right approach. I mean, it's obvious that he's doing that in order to force... Fox into into green lighting a new series, which would be perfectly fine with me. It but worked, it, I think. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess it will work, and you know, I guess we will have uh, a, a new series, a new mini series. And I think this is the the right format for the X Files. Don't you agree? I mean, a small mini series, you know, with excellent writing, and not trying to, I mean, stretching out some really complicated mythology into two, three, four uh, series, you know, to the point that you really don't understand what's, what's been going on if you haven't uh, watched the last, I don't know, 40 episodes. Mm, mm. No, well, that, the, the cliffhanger was the moment I'd been waiting for the entire six episodes. Oh. You know, so I'm like, now what? But uh, it's just been they've greenlit a second season or a second miniseries, I think. Mm -hmm. so. What are your thought about? What were your thoughts about all this incorporation of of the new conspiracies? I mean, not only uh, Blue Beam Project, mm -hmm. you know, which was you know established from the get go, with this um, kind of like a really disturbing mix between uh, the Fox. Uh, uh, spokesperson or the Fox uh, uh, TV personalities and uh, Alex Jones, you know, this guy, you know, who is like, uh, he has his conspiracy site, but he is a conservative, you know, the, uh, but then was, th there was also all these other uh, conspiracies like uh, vaccinations and HARP, Mm -hmm. And FEMA camps mm -hmm. and God knows what else they they threw into the basket in the last there's episode. A, what do you thought about that? Huh? It's a, a full checklist, man. He, yeah, he yeah. 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 Gordon was saying, Gordon White was saying on his latest podcast that Chris Carter was actually at one of the secret space conferences and just <laughs> sat at the back taking notes. And that <laughs> came through, you know, in that first episode. That, mm -hmm. that monologue in the cabin where it's just like, they're going to do this, they're going to do this, they're going to do this, and then they'll do this, and this, and this, and this. Mm -hmm. Which I sampled and used in my post. It's like, I just want the ARVs, man. <laughs> yeah, but it was so, I mean, okay, they used the acronym, but they didn't really, like, I could have used some kind of, like, uh, uh, what is it with the name of this term in which you go back in time? to explain a, a, a scene. Flashback. Yeah. It could have been nice to have a flashback of maybe the, of maybe the smoking, the, the, the cancer man, the smoking man going and seeing on the first RV. You know, like in, like in that story in which, you know, there was this air show and this guy, you know, walked into this, this Air Force hangar with this bumped up 
ARVs and saying, oh, yeah, we've used that to, to explore Mars and the asteroid belts and all that. You know, that would, that would have been cool. One of the, um, in the flashback, they did show, and, and we can work our way back to Roswell, literally, by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way they showed that crashed spaceship, you could almost see, I mean, to my eyes, it looked like a human construction. Like, it looked like it was rebar and concrete. Yeah, there was all rivets and stuff. Like, oh, my God, this, that is not a, an advanced spacecraft. So, um, so you mentioned Whitley Strieber's book saying mm-hmm. it was all a crashed, uh, a setup, mm-hmm. fake out. Mm-hmm. Where do you where do you see um, Joseph P. Farrell's theory that it's all the secret Nazi? That it was. A I think spaceship? yeah, I think that he's uh, personally. I haven't read uh, his books. I mm-hmm. have listened to several of his of his podcast interviews, especially on the Paracast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he raises really interesting points. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not sure if he is, I mean, he's maybe connecting too many dots, like connect dot, connecting dots that he only can see. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, there are many things in the official story of the Second World War that needs revision in one. One of the things, I mean, he, uh, we were talking about uh, South America and all that, right? I mean, if you go to Argentina and you raise like a pole, uh, probably you will find that 70% uh, of the population are sure that uh, Adolf Hitler survived World mm-hmm. War II and, and did, uh, didn't die in, in, in his bunker, you know, that he fled to Argentina. And I think that that's not really uh, that implausible, you know. I think that is really quite plausible if if you think about it. So there's something about that. There's something about the Germans really finding a lot of, having a lot of uh, important uh, radical advances in aeronautics, Another, another sciences, another uh, technological advances they, they developed. I mean, you have the B two, right? I mean, like, these guys. If they, if it wasn't for the German uh, uh, wonder weapons program, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have gone to the moon. That's that. That's a fact. But at the same time, from there to say, and oh yeah, and. There's all there's uh, Nazi flying saucers bases on the moon and on Antarctica. That's that's a that's a really big leap. And I'm saying that, even though that I probably know a bit more about things that maybe Farrell hasn't even taken into account. Things like uh, the Friendship Island story that's from from Chile. That's been fascinating me from from the last I don't know twelve fifteen years or so, in which apparently there's also some kind of weird German connection. You know, this idea of there was to t- to make a long story short, it's something like the real life version of the Lost series. You know, this island 
the really close to to the south pole you know lost in 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 the in the chonos archipelago of 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 chile in which there is this like community of of people that are uh, waiting for the end of the world and are in possession of really advanced technology and sometimes they invite people from the outside world to come and join them and and there seems to also have been uh, a german connection because there's also a a, a a colony of expats of german expats that are trying to make like this isolated uh, uh, society almost like you know trying to tr uh, to to take a town in Bavaria and implant them, you know, right there in, 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 in the deep down into the Patagonia. And there's also the involvement of, of this guy, uh, um, a radical environmentalist who was, uh, what was the name of this guy? Douglas Tompkins, I, I think he was the name of this guy, the guy who uh, created uh, his fortune with the OP line of clothing and also other of their adventures and then he went into a, into environmentalism and his idea of environmentalism is you we we have to keep all these enormous uh, natural reserves away from human contact so he bought a lot of land uh, in Patagonia close to where these supposed uh, secret alien base uh, existed and it was like something that scared the crap out of, of some uh, Chilean politicians like saying oh my god the gringos are invading our country you know what are they thinking what are they planning are they planning for some kind of cataclysm in which they're going to go and live there you know after uh, global warming you know makes the rest of the world uninhabitable or whatever so it's a really complex story and probably the reason why I'll, I like it so much, you know. I mean, it's not that I, that I believe it. I just find it interesting, all these elements that seem to crisscross together. And uh, so I guess getting back to the original question, I find Farrell's uh, uh, ideas interesting, but I... I try to keep them in my gray basket the same way I keep in my gray basket things like this Friendship Island story. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the way to do it, I think. Um, mm -hmm. what, um, that really sounds a lot like Hugo Drax in Moonraker, the Bond villain mm -hmm. in Moonraker. What decade was this, what era was this Friendship Island story playing out? Well, it seemed to have developed in the early 1980s. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. There, there seems to have been uh, a major UFO sighting over Santiago, uh, Santiago, Chile. Santiago is the capital of, of of Chile, and apparently there were some people in contact with with uh, uh, the inhabitants of Friendship Island. They were contacting them through CB radio, right? And, you know, these guys were saying, no, no, the, the, uh, the, our ship will go this way or they will, will die that, this way uh, in this direction, you know. And apparently the, the, this object 
follow those directions, which seemed to allude to the fact that it was controlled by 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 these by these people. And I also love the fact that you know you have these uh, advanced individuals in like contacting. Uh, people uh, through something as rudimentary as CB radio, right? I mean, not even now. In our, now in our days of Twitter and and Google Hangouts and with that, CB radio sounds like using the telegraph. <laughs> mm, for sure. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, so what? one of the things I want to I try and pause with you is trying to, to distinguish between what's... Um, taken as being UFOs, but it's actually classified or military or secret industrial sort of research mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus the the true, really, you know, impossible weirdness of, of, of the actual UFO phenomena, like the, the Fatima mystery and the um, the one, oh, did I forget the name of, that Ballet writes about with the, um, in, it's somewhere in South America where they have to build a church and there's like flowers and there's radiation effects and stuff. Oh, cases in South America? Yeah. Would those be the, the, the cases in uh, Brazil? For sure, yeah. The, the, the cases that happen in Colares, that, you know, where they have the, what they call the chupas, you know, uh-huh. these, like, refrigerator-like objects that will shoot beams into hunters that were perched on top of uh, up, of uh, trees in the rainforest and on other people. And, and, and this, uh, they have uh, evidence of radiation sickness and also like uh, low uh, hemoglobin count, you know, almost like if, as if these objects were draining them out of blood. I mean, yes, obviously those are more difficult to to be explained as secret military tests and things like i know there are people who like to think of like the belgian flap of 1989 and 1990 as uh, testing of these uh, black manta or tr3 super secret black uh, aircraft and obviously, that is still uh, within the realm of possibility. But I'll, at the same time, the thing that bothers me about explaining away those ufological flaps as uh, military testing is that, okay, by definition, if you're testing a craft, it means that it has the potential to fail, right? So if those super secret uh, military craft are being tested right above uh, human populations in other countries. What happens if those those, uh, aircraft crashes? You know, what happens if it crashes right above some poor Belgian town and it causes the death of, you know, thousands of people? That's why why don't they test those craft, I don't know, in Alaska, uh, right in the middle of, of the southwestern desert? 
unless you go with the idea that they are also conducting psychological experiments and all, and all those kind of things. And you, don't, you can't discount that, but I've grown more and more skeptical of those, of those approaches. Well, that, the whole PSYOP thing is, is definitely a thread I've been following lately. Mm -hmm. um, but what, uh, what I've been more fascinated by, even more recently, just catching up on the latest Secret Space program, is mm -hmm. um, Walter, Walter Bosley's writings on the, the airship mysteries from the 1850s to 1890s. 1897, yeah. And um, I, had, I had no idea that this kind of stuff was going on. Mm -hmm. And um, Pharrell talked about, in his presentation, the Germans doing testing of, because of the, the armatists or whatever, the, um, uh, the side treaty, that mm -hmm. they had to offshore their military testing to Russia. And that fits perfectly with the whole earlier version of these German guys rocking around America and Scandinavia. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, there's the idea that this has been going on for centuries. Weird, you know, weird craft just sort of appearing over random population centers. Fascinates me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you read uh, Jacques Vallée and Chris Hobeck's book, Wonders in the Sky? I own it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're like me, right? You 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 buy all these books. You're thinking, yeah, one of these days I'm going to to read this sucker. <laughs> Meanwhile, you keep buying books, and you know, not, next thing you know, you have all this pile of books that eventually will be read by by either your son, your children, or your nephews, or your grand your grandchildren, because you you never had time to read them. Pretty much. <laughs> but what do you think of this thesis? You know, these guys are trying to. I think they they made a very very good case of finding really solid evidence of weird weird uh, sightings that happened prior to the invention of 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 the the aerostatic balloon of the aeroplane. You know, and and. Things that couldn't be accounted as simple, I don't know, atmospheric phenomena or simple misidentification of the planet Venus or a comet or whatever. This is what's got me completely intrigued. That um, mm -hmm. and especially, I mean, I just read Gordon's book as well, uh, mm -hmm. Starships, which traces back. It's 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 the background to it. The you know the interaction with the spirits or extra dimensional forces or mm -hmm. whatever, which is way more interesting than just, you know, some humanoids from Mars coming to, like, rape our women or steal our cattle or whatever the hell mm -hmm. they're there for. And it, it makes the universe, to me, seem infinitely more interesting. Mm -hmm. And the whole... What what really has me... Uh, what is it? The Matrix? What really bakes my noodle mm -hmm. is the whole Velay's idea of the control system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That they've been just sort of nudging us along for thirty thousand years, maybe, and uh, you know, always appearing just a little bit weirder than what we can understand. Yeah, or maybe it's, or maybe it's that we are only perceiving the phenomenon not in its in its totality, but only we are able to perceive it just a little bit above our 
what we could call our current level of normality. You know what I mean? So yeah, you could you someone in the nineteen fifties will be able to perceive the stuff that kind of looks like something that could be built fifty years uh, from its ta- from his or her time, right? And someone living uh, five hundred years from now will be able to perceive something a bit more. You know, like yeah, I mean, like I don't know how to express this but yeah yeah maybe the phenomenon it's really big and vast but we are only able to to peer into it just a little bit further from our nose you know just a few inches above uh, or further just on the edge of our perception yeah 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 exactly where like in a crowd you think you see your friend and then you get closer and you're like no that's not that's a that's a lampshade or whatever yeah yeah it's it's um way way more interesting than politics or you know i mean what's interesting me nowadays about the ufo phenomenon is not like oh which planet are they coming from you know i mean that's like enough of that i mean i was obsessed with that 20 years ago not anymore and what i'm obsessed about Nowadays, about the phenomenon is how it hints at at how pathetic our grasp of reality it really is. You know, it's like, yeah, we've been dipping our toes into this big sea, you know, of reality. And from time to time, you know, there are really weird creatures from the deeps, from 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 the bottom of the sea that it gets washed ashore, you know, like some kind of deep, like big whale or even a, 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 a giant squid, you know, say, oh my God, what is this, you know, when you were only accustomed to see seashells, you know, and see corals, that's the thing what we're used to it because we are only like swimming in the shore, not really being either brave enough or or equipped enough to go and really deep dive deep into into the bottom right so that to me is the the the, the value of the phenomenon how it it forces us to challenge our concept of reality to the, i've come to the point that in these 30 30 years of of reading of being interested in the phenomenon i can only cap been able to come up with two realizations. Number one, UFOs are real. Number two, by that logic, we don't really know what real means. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's and brilliant. that's it, you know. I can't, I can't go further from that, you know, without... I mean, obviously, I love to speculate, but, you know, it's really, really difficult to, to, to really establish you know, good, solid facts about the phenomenon. I, I once tried to pose a challenge to, to my friends who are into to this field as well. I mean, let's try to come up with at least five facts that we can all agree on about the UFO phenomenon. I could only come up with one, you know, the UFO phenomenon is global in scope. I mean, I think that's something that Everybody could agree with, you know, people in China see UFOs, people in Mexico, people in Africa. Maybe you could also say that the UFO phenomenon has been present uh, for as long as 
uh, human for throughout human history, although that that is more difficult to to prove. I mean, we have like yeah, rock art. We have uh, things like wonders in the sky. You know, all newspapers. You could make a case that this phenomenon is certainly older than. Uh, the 1947 sighting of Kenneth Arnold, you know, that, that's obviously the phenomenon is older than that, but can we really say that the phenomenon has existed as long as humanity has existed? I suspect so, but I, I really can't prove it. And beyond that, I really can't say, you know, wh what else can we really, like, say, okay, these are the, the few facts with been able to gather about the UFO phenomenon is really difficult. We've been speculating for, for 40, 50, 60 years about these goddamn things and these entities or this intelligence that seem to manipulate the phenomenon, but it's our facts are uh, painfully few. No, I agree completely. Um, and where I mean, I, I like the wonders in the sky thesis that mm -hmm. this has been going on forever. And when you say we've been looking at it for you know forty or fifty years, that's that's just this version. That's just what we're calling it now, instead of yeah, the sprites or visiting angels or you know what whatever the hell John D was talking to with that. Uh, yeah, hundred years for a hundred years from now, maybe our descendants will come to call them rock rogue AI, you know, they will think that it's a result of of uh, some artificial intelligence that has gone rogue, you know, or, or, or something else entirely that we can, we cannot even, we can't even imagine nowadays, you know, but yeah, like you said, you know, the phenomenon, it's so interesting, the phenomenon seems to be uh, just a few, uh, a few uh, paces uh, in front of us, maybe it's perception, like uh, we are uh, speculated before, or maybe it's deliberate. You know, maybe it's the tricksterish nature of the phenomenon, mm -hmm. and, that, and that is another thing that few people are are willing to entertain: the idea that this phenomenon is trickster-like and deceptive by nature. And I, I think that it's absurd, but absurd by design. You know, I, I, I recently registered the name of that, you know, that I, that is going to be the name of my website, absurdbydesign.com. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love yeah, it. When, I, I, when I finally managed to, to release my line of T-shirts, I will be sure to send you a T-shirt of, of, of that that says Absurd by Design. <laughs> Brilliant. No way. Um, the, the whole Tricks to God thing is... Is where Gordon lands right at the end mm -hmm. of um, of Starships, and I um I love that idea. It's much better than you know Prometheus engineers. Yeah. What what's your take of uh, some of the things that Nick Rathburn has investigated? For example, Men in Black, the, the, what he calls the non-human Men in Black, you know, or these entities that seem to be. Uh, interested in causing fear on the witness for for fears for uh, for the sake of fear, almost as as if they are 
feeding off the fear of the witness. What, what's your take on that? So I haven't read a lot of Nick Redfern, but um, uh -huh. well, well, my favorite, well, my second, my second favorite X-Files episode is the, um, the Jose Chung. Oh, yeah. 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 Which um, the way it's depicted, you have, of course, um, I've forgotten his name, uh, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura and Alex Trebek. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that the other guy's not really known to me. Oh, the, uh, did you never watch uh, this uh, TV show Jeopardy? No, we don't get it in Australia. But you know, you know the song. Okay, the story that you know the, they have these like question, this contest, you know, and you have to keep questioned. Oh, what is you know the, the state of Michigan, and they get they get prizes, you know. Yeah, they get the you. Uh, Maybe if it was it had been shot in United Kingdom, you could have had I don't know uh, some guy who made the Doctor Who or whatever, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, 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 for sure. Or Stephen Fry. <laughs> yeah, With the QI and all that. Um, but the way the way that episode depicts it, you have sort of these levels of men in black mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the people, to the regular citizens. They're seeing the FBI as the men in black. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've only just started digging into is the whole uh, like Black Lodge versus White Lodge sort of deal, if you know. Oh yeah, that's that's what I find really interesting. That you know, there's two competing camps that are possibly serving or trying to. You've read The Invisibles, right? Yes, and I yeah. positively loved it. I cannot recommend it highly enough it's been one of the things that you i really feel grant morrison was really tapping into some deep stuff i don't i i think that by his sheer will and imagination he managed to come up with better ideas about the ufo phenomenon that people like i don't know uh, but hopkins or yeah, Allen Heinick, you know, and not to belittle these guys, you know, but I think that, yeah, I, yeah, The Invisibles was the moment that I've read the final panel on the mm -hmm. last, the, the last chapter, it was like, ah, you know, I, I've reread re it like five times more, you know, I, yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, so we have basically the elite serving these extra-dimensional or, or alien or whatever. Yeah, entities. yeah. You know, my yeah. masters have a plan. That's yeah. That's... And then you have the, the, the men in black has basically been their sort of agents, right? Yeah. So, like, Agent Smith, almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, would, 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 you, would you put Agent Smith as... I guess you can fold the Matrix that way, can't you? Yeah, sure. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's a system of control, right? And it's a system that is keeping humanities... The Invisibles, both the Invisibles and the Matrix are Gnostic mm -hmm. uh, form of, of, of communication. They are, are, are uh, forms of Gnostic literature, for sure. You know, I mean, or, well, Matrix is uh, cinema, uh, the Invisibles is, uh, is comic book, but they are, part, they are another way or, 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 of retelling the Gnostic, the Gnostic dogma, 
and that's probably the way why I love them so much because after I became uh, enamored and, and, and hooked on Carlos Castaneda's philosophy when I finished uh, uh, college, I ended up uh, understanding that I'm something something of a Gnostic myself. Yeah, I definitely lean that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read Carlos Castaneda. Well, but, um... I could, I could, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Castaneda was there was a time when he was just as big, if, if not bigger, than Timothy Leary and all these, you know, mm-hmm. con, con, counterculture icons, you know, Turner's McKenna, whatever. He was featured in uh, at one point in Times Magazine, so that speaks about his influence right but then he started to lose ground because people started to attack uh, his ideas and the, vali- the, the validity of his claims and rightfully so I mean uh, some people have asked me you know oh don't you know that Carlos Castaneda you know made up all of the things that he wrote up and my answer to that is so freaking what you know what I mean I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that George Lucas you know made up all the stuff that is uh, depicted in, in, in the Star Wars saga it doesn't mean that I can't love the saga for itself and that I can't see the truth in you know that line said by Yoda when he says to, to, uh, to Luke Skywalker luminous beings are we not this crude matter I mean that is that is the gnostic the gnostic dogma in a nutshell that yes we are made of energy we are made of light the universe is more than we perce- what we can perceive with our five crude senses and i feel that the ufo phenomenon is here to remind us of that definitely definitely um i was just going to point out the Wachowskis actually reference um, Carlos Castaneda in yes. Cloud Atlas, yeah. In Cloud Atlas, yeah. That's when I, I that's when I knew. That's when I knew I wasn't crazy when I saw the the parallels between Neo and Carlos Castaneda and between Morpheus and Don Juan, this uh, Yaki Brujo, which allegedly ta- taught. Carlos, all the things about uh, the way of knowledge of the ancient Mexicans. Um, so, I mean, we could just talk about Wachowski's for ages. <laughs> what did you, did you watch Sensei? Sorry? Uh, no, I haven't. I, 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 it's the kind of thing that I put, that I add to my Netflix list. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why, man. I don't. I can't find time to watch TV anymore, mm. and it's so ridiculous. Because as a kid, I used to watch TV for like eight hours straight. When I was still in high school, I used to watch like five, four hours of TV, and now that's one. That's when I was watching the, the X Files, for example. Mm. Then came college, and then came you know like yeah. The, becoming a quote-unquote adult. Nowadays, I think that by the time I, I, I 
entered into the daily grail, I became less and less able to watch TV. And it's not because I'm those kind of people to say, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't watch TV, you know, I, have, I don't have time for that. You know, I, I still like things about TV. I mean, not, not obviously uh, the news or commercials or TV programs or whatever, but I, I still like TV series. And so, obviously, Sense8 is something that was from uh, developed by uh, for, for Netflix, so you couldn't say that it's a TV series. I know I want to watch it, I, I loved Cloud Atlas, so and people told me if you if you want if you loved Cloud Atlas, you you need to see Sense8. But uh, I haven't I haven't been able to to watch it. I haven't even finished watching Lost for crying out loud. <laughs> you might be, be spared of mercy though. I think. <laughs> yeah, and it, it it'll be there. The good thing about you know. We can just binge watch the, the the day you're sick and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. I need to like you know fall on a ditch or something, break my leg, mm -hmm. so I can stay in a bed for two months. You know, just no nothing to do but you you just being what binge watching on Netflix. For sure, for sure. Um, something I wanted to get out of the way mm -hmm. is just and it ties into all this and and possibly narcissism as well. Um, yeah. Disclosure. Disclosure. <laughs> like, okay. For, for me, let me just preface this by saying, for me, that the biggest thing that does is reinforce the idea that they're in control to begin with. Mm-hmm. But what do you what do you think? Do you think it's a psyop? Do you think there are aliens hanging out in bases? Do you think there's something halfway between something sort of Area Fifty One, Grant Morrison, Invisibles, like? What do you think? What's your take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, if I had read the Invisibles uh, in the two thousand, in the year two thousand, or fifteen years ago, mm -hmm. because I remember when I was in college, I was reading uh, this newsletter, uh, the Groom Lake Desert Rat. I think it was written by this guy uh, Campbell. George Campbell, I think is his name. And he's, uh, he became like the citizen watchdog of, of, of the government, and especially uh, their antics at uh, the Area, 50, uh, Area 51, because back in those days, they were trying to appropriate public land so they could, so they could extend the territory of Area 51, and they could... Uh, like snatch all these patches of land in which private citizens could still climb up to a hill or whatever and get a really good look at, at a Groom Lake testing base, right? So that's where I also read, read uh, the whole thing with Bob Lazar, the whole thing with this guy, J-Rod, you know, this is allegedly... This guy who allegedly created these like uh, test simulators so pilots could could train themselves how to pilot uh, uh, alien engineer or reverse engineered alien mm -hmm. craft, right? Mm -hmm. 
And back in those days, that seemed so plausible to me. I guess, obviously, that was back in the days when uh, I went to see Independence Day, you know, right? It was like, oh my what? God. Yeah, 1997, <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, there's, in the moment when they say Area 51 and then say, sir, that's not entirely accurate. That's when I, I was I almost wanted to, to jump up on my seat and say, yes, Alien Area 51 exists. But nowadays, disclosure seems to me like a huge waste of time. Even though I could entertain the fact that there are people in the government who knows a, a, a whole lot more about the UFO phenomenon than we do. I mean, they probably... I mean, let's entertain the possibility. Yes, they, they, they have managed to retrieve, I don't know, maybe crushed saucers or something. You know, they may, maybe they have some kind of trace evidence, you know, materials or whatever. Maybe the slack, you know, that used to fall off of flying saucers, you know, back in the old days, you know, all these like molten metal, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the, the thing was melting or something. And, uh, but I, nowadays, maybe because I was so positively influenced by the writings of Nick Redburn and Greg Bishop, who used to be blogging for uh, this now defunct blog, UFO Mystic. I remember re- finding this blog and being so outraged by, by the claims of these guys. How dare these guys claim that UFOs are not extraterrestrial crafts, right? But, you know, kicking and screaming, they managed to, to convince me that they had a, a sounding case and that my ETH notions were too naive. And they also managed to, to make the case that if the governments, the governments of the world know more about the UFO phenomenon. They probably are more uh, confused about it. So they're definitely not in control of the phenomenon. So probably, maybe they're not willing to disclose what they know because they don't want to show their lack of power of the phenomenon. Yeah, okay, okay, yo, so there is this phenomenon there's, there's this thing that appears on, in our skies and some and from time to time it, it might also you know take one of you guys out of your bedroom so but we, we really don't know where they come from we really don't know what they're doing here but you know just don't panic you know we're we're, we're pretty sure they don't want to take over our planet hopefully right no what they will never do that and 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 so uh disclosure yeah so uh, that's my problem with disclosure and also agree with you that uh it's a very it's it's engaging in the paternalistic Mm. attitude that the government knows all the answers and if we play nice and we raise our ball like Oliver Twist and say, please, sir, can I have some more disclosure? They will, you know, like be compassionate and, and give us a little bit more of, of, of all these secret files they have in some kind of like old dusty, you know, file cabinet. Definitely. Definitely. I, I 
confess I have an easier idea believing that not not the whole you know when the, when the president's inducted he gets to read from the book of secrets or whatever you know the like secret alien files whatever I have an easier time believing not that there's alien bases but that instead like you know like the council of foreign relations those sort of elite groups are, are pulling some sort of freemasonic ritual trying to like contact or engage with whatever's behind the UFO phenomenon then there's greys you know raping cattle that... so you think that the, there could be like secret societies like i don't know the golden dawn or 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 whatever something like which, that which yeah uh, I, I have an easier time believing that yeah I don't dismiss that. I don't dismiss that at all. You know, I mean, this is this is something that Jacques Vallée uh, expressed in Messengers of Deception, that yeah, there could be some secret human agency that is, if not in control of the, of the UFO phenomenon, probably knows more about it than us. And well, then we get back to Joseph Farrell uh, and the Nazi connection, don't we? I mean... The Thule Society, the real society. I mean, we do know that the Thule Society existed. You know that I think that is a established historical fact. But I don't know if uh, I think I still think that the real society is something something of a myth. Right. I um, and just to qualify what, what I was just saying. Like, I, I can't see there being, you know, like in the X-Files, you've, it's it's just the syndicate, right? And you don't yeah, really yeah, see yeah. rivals yeah, they, to them. Yeah, um, yeah and, and yeah, they, they should have uh, shown uh, factions fighting, right? And I think that Chris Carter showed that in the other series that he had in the 90s, like, Millennium. right? The millen yeah. Millennium, right? You had, I think you had the Owls and the other group the was the Crows. Yeah, the Crows. The Crows. Or the Roosters. Yeah. Oh, sorry? I think it was Roosters. Oh, so okay. But they, one, you had two like different... The other one wanted to, like, sound the alarm sort of thing. Mm -hmm. go, sorry, go yeah, and I th yeah, and I think that that's way more... Uh, Plausible, and and also in this in the disclosure mythology, you have this idea that there's there's been people who try to to from time to time, you know, like expose whatever they know, you know, and let the the public know. Whereas there are the other faction of the people in the know who who want to keep everything as is as it is, you know, secret and and you know people people in the dark. The, the show that no one seems to really talk about much um, that ran parallel to the X-Files was, was Dark Skies, right? Dark Skies, yeah. I saw that. I saw that series, and I, I enjoyed it. You know, there, I've, for a time, I, I felt that it was trying to, to, to ride in the coattails of X-Files. But no, yeah, after, after that, I realized that it, it was its own thing. And I really liked how they wanted to try to to weave out real historical events, you know, with this uh, uh, quote-unquote fictional narrative, you know, to try to 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 show what a 
secret history might mm. look like. It, it definitely condensed at least one arc of ufological sort of law into a, mm. a concrete mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. But um, what what I keep thinking is it's almost too simple. Of course, yeah. Well, it's 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 for it's for TV. I mean, even Jacques Vallée tried to convince uh, Spielberg. You know, don't portray aliens as extraterrestrials. And at that time, Spielberg said, "Well, that's what what that, that's what the public expecting." You know, so I'm going to I want to give the public what they want. But I think that in the end, Spielberg and George Lucas kind of like got. The message, because if you think about it, did you watch the ser- the series Taken? I have not, but what um, for me? I'm going to make the same point, which is Crystal Skull. Uh huh. Indiana Jones and Crystal Skull show mm-hmm. the um, extra dimensional aliens, and it's like they find yeah, yeah, when they thirty years later, the space between the spaces. Yes, it was like yeah. I mean, saying that in a major motion picture and a major motion sci-fi you know blockbuster blockbuster picture that was a bold bold move i really want to know who came up with that idea who came up with that line because i want to to invite uh, shake his hand you know and invite him up here because that yeah greg bishop also loves that that line and that's probably the first time that the ufo the 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 Probable, the thing closest to the reality of the UFO phenomenon was uh, portrayed mm-hmm. in a in a major motion picture, but very very campy. Yeah, yeah. Did you also wa- yeah, did, did you also watch the movie uh, uh, Knowing with uh, what's the name of this guy? On Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. I also like. I also like that movie. That um, was that a? I'm just trying to remember. It was kind of like Scientology, though. No, 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 no. You're thinking about John Travolta and and a phenomenon. Okay, Mr. Um, that that is also an interesting. Now. Yeah, no, knowing is a guy who finds like. He becomes obsessed with something that was written by a woman like uh, thirty years ago. All these like uh, synchronicities with num these like number codes that like are like prophecies of of, of catastrophes. And then there's also this idea of uh, Ezekiel's wheels and all of that. Okay. It was an interesting. It was an interesting movie. I mean, it's it's all it's about it's an it's a doomsday movie, but I feel I felt it was done quite interestingly, and also uh, the depiction of these entities that some people say, well, they are aliens. No, they're angels. I I loved how they were so nicely ambiguous. You know, everyone could say, well, ascribe them whatever meaning you could want on them. You know, it's almost like, uh, well, not almost like Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's 2001, because Stanley Kubrick's, you know, was a master, and 2001 is, uh, you know, one of a kind, but almost like that, you know. 
leaving this ambiguity uh, is so interesting in art. And I also think it's what I love the most about the UFO phenomenon is because it's so ambiguous. I mean, that's why people like Paul Kimball and Greg Bishop have uh, compared the UFO phenomenon with, uh, with uh, an artistic movement. Ah, interesting. Um, now, I cut you off before. What was the point you wanted to make about Taken? Oh, what a, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, well, also, yeah, the idea that in Taken, uh, these, the aliens are not uh, never, are never really portrayed as, as extraterrestrials. They are portrayed as these others that come to our world for whatever reason. They never really, until the end, they are kind of like is, is explained why they came here, what, they, what their, their, their intentions are. But they, they never said, yeah, we come from Seta Reticular, or we come from this dimension, or we come from the future. They, they never explicitly say that, and that is uh, something that I really appreciate about about the series. Also, the fact that, you know, I don't know, they managed to weep so well many of the themes that are part of of, 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 of the UFO mythos, Area 51, the secret government, imp alien implants, uh, alien hybrids. All of that was really, really used in a very in a very good way in in the in the serious narrative interesting um i'll put it on the list mm -hmm. um so what do you think of the idea that it just seems to be a lot of the same voices telling the ufo story the spielberg lucas james cameron do you think there's a reason uh well, I could go and say that, well, the reason these guys are the one telling those stories is because this kind of, this type of movies are very expensive, you know, mm -hmm. and these guys are uh, the big names in the Hollywood industry. So if someone is going to make a big budget alien movie, that's, that, that person is going to be Steven Spielberg. Because no one in Universal is going to handle, is going to hand over Two hundred million dollars, you know, to tell a, di a different kind of alien movie, and also because, yeah, obviously, Hollywood is so conservative sometimes in in the way they want to to show uh, this uh, phenomenon, right? Like now, I'm thinking of uh, the movie Fire in the Sky, mm -hmm. right? And this guy, I think the name is Tracy Torme, wanted to, came up with a, a screen, screenwriter for the movie. And, you know, some Hollywood, uh, Hollywood executives said, no way. No way we're going to make a movie in which there is no, like, really big uh, thriller, you know, and there is no, like, you know, uh, we want to portray... Uh, this uh, movie as as in Ridley Scott's Alien, right? Because that's that's going to sell. You know, we want to give uh, the moviegoers a big scare. 
never mind, you know, the all this nonsense of that Travis Walton also found uh, human-looking uh, entities on board this craft, and that there was no really. I mean, if if you really uh, read Travis Walton's book Fire in the Sky, you see that there is no really uh, not no big conclusion. I mean, it's all so open-ended in the end. I mean, yeah, he had this this incredible like, uh, event happening in his life. He never understood why it happened to him. You know, there was never never really an explanation. There was never really a closure to it. And that's something that, that Hollywood uh, doesn't really understand. You know, we, we, we said it before, you know, people does, don't like ambiguity. 2001 was almost a, a, a flop because people... Uh, came out of the movie theater scratching the head saying, what the hell did, did I just see, right? Same thing with Interstellar, you know? I mean, there's still people who say, what the hell was Interstellar all about? Uh, ambiguity is something that uh, Western moviegoers don't really like. In Japan, things are different, right? You know, in, in Japan, artists are more uh, accustomed to to put ambiguity and movie goers seem to be okay with that. So <laughs> I can't remember any, what um, you read. Are there any Japanese UFO movies? That's a good question, man. I don't know. I mean, I consider Miyazaki movies to be like almost like UFO movies. I mean, mm -hmm. my friend Totoro, mm -hmm. I, I consider that to be very... I don't know UFO like. I mean, because there are no UFO. Well, you know, you could say that the that the cat bus was some kind of UFO, right? I mean, it it traveled on power lines, right? And you have all these accounts of UFOs like hanging near power lines and 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 sucking off sucking off the energy of power lines. <laughs> Man, I'm leading with that quote now. The cat bus <laughs> okay. is a UFO. I actually. Um, <laughs> Japan, I, I visited the Ghibli Museum. Okay. I was so psyched. I'm like, I can go on the cat bus. And then I get there, and it's for kids only. Oh! And I'm like... That's so yeah. unfair. Seriously, right? Seriously. That's an outrage. <laughs> um, I only just saw Fire in the Sky a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month mm -hmm. ago. And I was, you know, I was bracing myself for the, for the traumatic um, alien... Rape. I keep, I keep mm. I'm saying alien rape a lot in this podcast. Oh, they're going to sue me, man. Gonna, mm -hmm. sue me. Um, and it was kind of like over pretty quick. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of setup, and th there's that line at the start uh, with uh, good old Robert Patrick going to the boys. Remember, we're telling the story we agreed upon. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of like waiting for the for the twist on that. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't really get one. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of the... Um, so you're talking about the $200 million blockbusters, but there's been a lot of um, super, or not super low budget, but quite quite low budget um, found footage style ufological films the last few mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of The Operative. Have you seen The Operative? No, I don't think so. I love that movie. It's, they go to uh, it's a CIA guy 
going to Afghanistan with a group of special forces to try and find the source of the Vimyanas. Mm. Quite good. So there's like gene in both? Genes? Yeah, genes, you know, these like uh, these uh, entities that... Oh, it's both... gene. Yes, yes, yes. 100%. Okay. So it's, it's just a quest. So the, and what what they managed to do in those films is just push back the reveal to the end of the movie. You know, I kind of like uh, I've never really been a fan of found uh, film footage, you know, found mm-hmm. footage films. You know, I mean, I I never even watched the the this the first f- film of that kind. You know, watched the the, the Witch of huh? the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Never watched that film. Same director. Yeah, never watched that film. You know, I've never. I I watched Cloverfield, and I felt like okay, yeah, it's an interesting way of of telling a story, but it, it will grow old in time, and unfortunately, it hasn't. So yeah, I, I I understand how it it kind of uses this uh, gimmick to make it more, look more real. There, there was a, a film about that in that genre that I really liked. I, I don't remember the the name. It was, I don't remember if it was supernatural or what. These kids who like touch uh, uh, these meteorites and they gain superpowers and they start to fly and whatever. Yeah, that one. That's fantastic. I, 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 I like that one. But despite the fact of of of, of the found field footage kind of mm-hmm. like uh, system so that's why I kind of avoid those types of those types of film I never watch any of the paranormal activity films I'm not interested in the slightest on, on those types of those types of movies I could mm-hmm. I, I think I could watch the the one you're speaking of you know because I'm interested in in, in, in the gene. I know. I'm not sure if the if the movie about Skinwalker Ranch was also uh, shot in that kind of style. Ah, yes, we meaning to check that one out too. They say this is a terrible movie. <laughs> um, now was that the one about the Phoenix Lights, or was that a- no? It's the Skinwalker Ranch. Okay, Skinwalker Ranch. They seem to just be churning them out now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's because it's. I, I guess it's. It's the those are cheaper to make mm. than you know the typical like traditional yeah sci-fi. You know, I mean, obviously Independence Day two will be like yeah. ten times more than Blair Witch Project. You know, no, fifty times more, I guess. Mm. For sure, Will Smith alone will get that. Is he now? No, he's not. Oh. This bastard decided to bail out, and I don't know why. Well, he's making the um, goddamn Suicide Squad film, isn't he? Yeah, I guess I should forgive him because of that, because that Suicide Squad movie looks... It's, it's very promising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good bridge, actually, to talk about ancient astronaut theory in superhero movies. Mm-hmm. 
what did what did you think of Superman uh Superman Returns or Superman Returns, right? Where they basically had him as an ancient astronaut. Not, not uh, Superman Returns, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Man of Steel, yeah. Nah, I liked I liked Man of Steel a lot. I have it on Blu-ray. Ooh. Way better than way better than Superman Returns. I'm not sure if uh, if Superman if Man of Steel really uh, uh, exploited the ancient aliens uh, idea more than, for example, all the Marvel movies, right? I mean, I think that the Thor movies or uh, the, the first Captain America, the first Avenger movie, and all those uh, movies, I think that they used more of that kind of uh, narrative because obviously all of those stories were uh, created by Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby used to be really, really interested in Eric von Daniken and all the ancient astronauts as, as, as it was called back in, back in those days, the ancient astronaut theory. I think the Marvel Universe is more uh, imbued with ancient aliens that the DC universe. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, especially the second Captain America is full, just Project Paperclip. You know, mm -hmm. My, yeah, the second Captain America was probably the one with the best uh, story. Probably mm -hmm. not the most, uh, you know, exciting movie of the whole, you know, Avengers uh, like serious, but it was the the best written in in my opinion. Oh, I loved it. It's definitely my favorite. It, I watched um, Winter Soldier about six times after when I was laid up in bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the idea how they they they, they say. I mean, the Nazis may not have won the war, you know, but they sure sure as hell won the peace. You know, because they managed to 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 hijack uh, the American society and and turn this goddamn capitalism system into overdrive. That's that's what is ru ruining our ru ruining our society nowadays. I feel. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The whole um, and that ties it back in again to. Pharrell's, you know, Nazi International. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where, that's where I can agree with him. You know, the idea that yeah, I mean, these guys managed to take off all the money out of out of uh, Germany, keep them in all these Swiss banks accounts, and you know, in, what are they going to do with that? Well, obviously, invest them, invest the, invest the money in 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 other companies. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, this, this comes into, and I'm not going to go full Jade Wire about predictive programming or anything, but it's definitely um, the, the Marvel films seem to uh -huh. be telling the secret history in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, so are they, are they trying to wake us up or are they trying to just go, oh, well, when, you know, Weird when New York gets invaded through a portal. <laughs> by, yeah, by freaking whale riding astronauts. 
Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, when they, when people start talking about these uh, movies being used as some kind of like uh, conditioning program, right? Like uh, Robbie Graham's theory, or I don't know if it, if it was a theory, but I, I'm sure as hell he investigated it. The idea that the CIA and other groups mm-hmm. used Hollywood in order to try to acclimatize the, pro- the people, the public, to the idea that we would have contact with you know, these others eventually. And after reading uh, Jeffrey Kripal's uh, book, Mutant and Mystics, nowadays I, I tend to side to the idea that creative people are tapping into this uh, collective unconscious uh, source you know, in which all these ideas are flowing. And maybe these ideas are being sent by someone or something, right? But this is, obviously, these uh, are being uh, channeled, if you will, by people like Jack Kirby or, you know, Stan Lee or, or the Wachowskis. And, you know, and they are then being directed or, or being, you know, sent into the mainstream, right? I don't see that as something direct. Uh, consciously directed by some kind of like secret cabal. I feel this is something that is not in control of human operatives. Um, so I have a related question, mm-hmm. which is something I'm fascinated by, and, and it takes us back to the second best X Files episode, Jose Chong. Um, what if communion? Um, Fire in the sky. What they're recounting isn't the encounter; it's the screen memory. Ah, that's a really interesting question, and also the fact that you know, okay, Whitley Strieber wrote Communion in 1987, I think, and then after that, he started to to say things like he was part of some kind of like a military testing program when he was a little kid in, who, in which he was like abused and tortured and almost like as if, yeah, uh, the idea that maybe, yeah, the, the idea that maybe uh, the narrative of being taken away by space aliens is uh, also the thing that you tell yourself in order to hide the uglier truth, right? Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I'm not trying, I may be spoiling away things for you, but that was also portrayed in, in the series Taken. Ah. Okay, so yeah, that, that's an interesting idea, and I wouldn't discount that. Uh, for example, let's, let's talk about Paul Hellier. Let's talk about this guy, you know, this guy who was the former minister, the minister of defense of Canada, right? Who is, some people uh, call him the highest ranked uh, disclosure uh, figure, right? Because he has this really important uh, government job 
and he's saying that aliens are here and the people and the governments of the world know about it and they they are hiding it from us right many many of the things that Hellier says are in my opinion uh, completely ludicrous you know mm-hmm. on the other hand uh, my friends Darren and Graham uh, on the Grimerica show they had him uh, as a guest and most of that episode they didn't discuss the alien thing they 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 were talking about economics mm-hmm. and when Hellier was talking about economics he sounded so rational and I I agreed on him on everything he said about how how messed up our economic system is, how we could easily fix it if we could just do these tweaks, you know, that in order to take away power from the multinational corporations and give it back to the people and, you know, pay attention to, you know, the country's infrastructure, you know, and, and give people free education, free free healthcare and all of that, that sounds like anyone with, you know, uh, a faint coat of gray matter would agree with, unless you are like a Donald Trump supporter. But (laughs) anyway, the the problem is that then the minute minute he starts to talk about uh, UFOs and aliens and how there are some group of aliens who dress themselves as nuns and go to the Las Vegas casinos to play and, 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 and you know, disguise themselves and mingle with the rest of the, of the earthlings. And that's when you say, what the hell? Why, why is there this, like, great disparity between this, this what, what this guy is saying? And I come to the conclusion that... Well, not the conclusion, but the suspicion that maybe these these potential whistleblowers at some time they are fed with some seed of disinformation. So when if they were to like you know go out in the field and and whistle the blow with with what they know, the disinformation they've been fed would uh, completely like negate what they're trying to disclose right they will be their their worst antagonists you know they will they will uh, portray themselves willingly as these buffoons right so uh, i guess that's why i see people like bob lazar paul hellier and others you know who on the one hand they are really uh they make sense on what they say, but on the other, well, the, their main narrative is so hard to swallow. No, definitely. Um, I'm also phrase the useful idiot, right? Uh-huh. So that's where you can see, because everyone loves being told a secret. Yes. You know, then they're like, no, let me come closer. Let me, t- let me tell you. Let me tell you what, what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It'd be it'd be definitely be a way to um to sort of cast a line out and see who bites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have uh, uh, 
watched uh, micro, uh, Pilkington's Mirage Man, right? Mm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's that's like awful. What they did to yeah, I mean, uh, and I, I, I'm a good friend of Greg Bishop, you know, and he for a time tried to play the the spy game, you know, and the, and it's a it's a dangerous game in the way that you never really will know if what these guys are feeding you is real information of this information. And you also have to come up with the, with the realization that they are going to use you or they, of, of they are only going to approach you if they are going to take something out of you. But like he said, you know, uh, if you are not willing to take those risks, you're not going to play the game and you're not going to receive anything. And people like Bill Moore, the guy who you know was involved in the whole Benowitz affair that was portrayed in Mirage Man and also Greg Bishop's Project Beta, they were willing to play that game, but you know, obviously they got the the, the uh, lousy hand out of it. You know, Bill Moore was uh, forced to self-retire out of the UFO field after he came out of and, 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 and acknowledged that he did play the part of uh, errand boy for people like uh, Richard, Richard Doty and, 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 and all these people in the Air Force, you know, and they fed Bill Moore and others this information, you know, so he became like, you know, like, this uh, punching back for the UFO field, even though he tried to warn them, you know, you, I'm not the only one who's been playing that this game, you know, I'm I'm just the only one like brave enough or honest enough to come out and and, and admit, admit my 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 culpability. Mm. Now that was pretty intense to watch that footage, you know. Yeah. You just like you can just feel the metaphorical sword sliding through his chest as he keeps talking. Yes, he's like wincing the whole way. He's like, "I know what I did was wrong," <laughs> and you know how it's like. How far? How far will you go? Basically, yeah. It's it's a it's a. I I think I asked uh, Greg that question. You know, if you had been in 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 Bill Moore's shoes, would you have uh, accepted that deal? I, th I think he said, yeah, I mean, uh, as long as it wasn't something re really like blatantly illegal or immoral, but that's mm -hmm. something so, so subjective, you know, where do you draw the line? You know, I think that, I mean, B uh, Bishop has, tr has defended more in many occasions saying that he never really like uh, said to to Benowitz, you know, take this. This is this is uh, uh, this is real information. He, he even tried to warn him, you know, Bill, uh, Paul, you know, don't go and publish this information before uh, checking it out, you know, corroborating. But the problem is that. Benowitz was already uh, really messed up, you know, he was really paranoid, neurotic, you know, he was a man on a mission. So it was so easy to nudge him, you know, just a little bit to get him off his rails. 
you know i mean I, and i guess that's the same in the case of many people in this field it's there was a time when i equated this the ufo field with uh, psychedelics you know mm -hmm. psychedelics can be a, a, a really amazing tool for intros, introspection or and gaining knowledge but at the same time if you don't have the the uh, enough mental fortitude psychedelics can really throw you into a binge you know and, and thrill and really you know uh, make you insane you know so mm. uh, this is not for anyone you know this is this is a this is a dangerous game that we're playing here right now you know if, you, if you're not careful you you know you need to have something to keep you balanced and grounded and it's not the same for anyone but you have to have th that caution no definitely that's a point i want to come back to um in just a second i just wanted to sort of rewind slightly so when yeah, you, sure. do you use the words nudging they nudged him along uh -huh. right? which to me and this is the the point i'm constantly fascinated by is we've described the um extra-dimensional hypothesis as being that on sort of a macro scale and then these uh -huh. guys are doing it on a micro scale almost as if that's and this is this is the thing i'm trying to work with right now what if what they're trying to reverse engineer is how do you nudge humanity along consciousness if they're trying to reverse engineer consciousness which will mean you know with the whole thing about uh, developing artificial intelligence that, that as well for sure um but I more mean... um we're talking about tricks of gods right messing with messing with people through time appearing in, in various forms and if that's that's what the actual black projects are do you see what i'm trying to say uh not really i mean uh try to uh, can you illustrate it with uh, an example so so when we when we describe our sort of working definition of, of the ufo phenomenon is something uh -huh. appears as you can perceive it on the edge of your mm -hmm. contemporary understanding, yeah, and yeah, nudges, nudges humanity along through starting religions or spiritual revelations or, yeah, yeah. or whatever. And if that, the kind of the case, the specific case of Mirage that's shown in the documentary Mirage Man is that guy being like a field test subject for him, his reality being shifted along. Yeah, does that make sense? So, the UFO phenomenon, or maybe uh, the people in control of the UFO phenomenon, are trying to shift our our perception of reality for for yes. whatever the, whatever means. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're trying to reverse engineer. That that it's not some spaceship in Roswell with anti grav. It's of course, you yeah. know, reality itself. Ah, uh, that's nature of that's, consciousness and yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, I now I understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think there's this uh, short story by uh, this Argentinian writer, uh, Jorge, Jose Luis Borges, or, or Jorge Luis Borges. Uh, never can't remember his name now. The idea that you introduce this. Uh, 
uh, fake story into into collect the collective consciousness, you know. Mm. And if you uh, infuse in, 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 infuse it with enough, I don't know, energy, or, or you keep repeating repeating it, it long enough, it becomes reality, you know. Eventually, mm. like I don't know, uh, I don't know Roswell or or many other things, you know, I mean, uh, almost like a, like a thought projection or a tulpa. Mm, mm, mm. What fascinates me about Roswell is that it didn't really, that it was forgotten for like 35 years or something? Yeah. So what does that mean? Right. It's a good question. Yeah, maybe that it was like the, now we have iPads, right? But mm. before the iPads, uh, Apple trying to come up with the Newton, remember? Mm. So mm. it was an idea before its time, you know? So uh, it only caught up when the, the time was ripe. I just find the whole 70s and 80s period, you know, these cluster of events and, and films to be particularly interesting. I, I, I'm fascinated by the 60s and 70s, the, the 50s and 70s uh, <coughs> time of ufology because it was so rich, so wild, you know, mm -hmm. the accounts of the people, the witnesses, you know, the, the description of the, the entities that, was, that, that were associated with, with the UFO phenomenon, you know. It was so varied. And now it's so uh, uniform that is almost boring to hear. You know, I mean, I'm not really interested in hearing about people describing gray aliens for the optimth time. I want to, I want to listen to accounts of you know, small hairy dwarfs, you know, or 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 uh, seven foot tall, tall, you know, lanky, uh, white pale giants, you know, uh, or maybe the stories of like really clunk-like uh, robots that were even more primitive that R2-D2, you know. <laughs> what happened to those guys, you know? Were those uh, visitors quarantined or, or forbidden to visit our planet after the greys took over or what, you know, I mean... <laughs> So these these are all reports from the fifties and sixties, is it? Yeah, I mean, wow. There are so many. Ma those are my my favorites, like uh, close encounter cases. You know, the Flatwoods Monster. Uh, Greg Bishop and I are very fond of the Pascagoula uh, abduction in nineteen seventy three. Uh, Greg Bishop is so fascinated of that case because these uh, mummy-like entities, you know, with their, like, uh, uh, cone-like protuberances sticking out of their heads, they kind of look like Kachina dolls, you know, these, like, uh, spirit entities that are part of the, of the mythology or the religion of the Native American people in the southwest of the United States. Right. 
you know, or remember the Hop the Hopkinsville incident? I think it was in 1957 or something like that. This this goblin-like entities, right? You know, with their their, their they were actually silver-like in in, in, in in their skin tone, right? Uh, but they had like big uh, ears. And what's interesting, you know, we were we, we were discussing about Steven Spielberg. Did you know that the first draft of E.T. the Extraterrestrial was going to be based on on, on this story of the Hopkinsville incident? So it was so it was going to be uh, almost like a terror terror kind of thriller. I do. I, I did know that. Um, and as as I understand it, this, he contemplated a sequel as well along those lines, and then. Mm-hmm kind of found its way into both gremlins and poltergeist is that right yeah i mean i, I mean if you see the, the 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 characters of the gremlins they're almost like the hopkinsville glob- goblins you know i mean they are more uh, reptilian like in nature but the, the, morphologically speaking they're almost exactly as the, the way these uh, scared us Kansas farmers described these uh, nightly assailants that kept, you know, coming and terrorizing them, and they kept firing their 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 shotguns at them. And and these entities, you know, they wouldn't budge. You know, I mean, they kept they they were impervious to to gunfire, and they kept like floating up and appearing even after. After the they called the police, they disappear. You know, when the police showed up, then the police left, and they, these damned entities, you know, just kept uh, manifesting, you know, and, and and kept tormenting them. You know, it's it's a fascinating case, you know, and unfortunately, we don't have those cases anymore. I mean, it makes you wonder what happened. We don't have also cases of uh, uh, UFOs landing, right? I mean, we have less cases of UFOs like leaving uh, burning, burning marks on the ground, you know, trace evidence, or, or the Australian UFO nest of the 19, late 19, 1960s. So what happened, you know? Why are the UFOs just like uh, hovering on the, on our skies, but they are now like keeping at bay? You know, they are not like coming down as often as they used to in the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, and nineteen seventies. Do you think it's just because they know that we've all got uh, camera phones now? People have suggested that. Even Travis Walton have, have, mm. have suggested that. I mean, I don't... I, I cannot discount the possibility, but it seems so blatant because my personal suspicion, I try to not use the word belief mm-hmm. when I'm talking about this phenomenon, but my personal suspicion is that every single close encounter event was carefully staged mm-hmm. just like you know we were talking about with Lestrubers Majestic every single close encounter case in which the human witness saw 
the UFOnauts like living out of the of the craft and taking up soil samples, you know, and plants, and then they will see the the witness and they will like act startled like <gasps> they were, you know, like discovered and they will rush into the craft, you know, and they will take off in a in a, in an instant. I feel that those were all staged. That is my suspicion. I'm I'm with you there. I'm definitely with you there. Let's rewind back to the what you were saying about uh, psychedelics, or, or pick up that point again. We're talking about the invisibles, and we mentioned briefly McKenna. Yeah. Uh-huh. How do you see the um, the machine elves of the DMT dimension? Where do you see them fitting in? To the to the wider, they're part of of this. They are definitely part of this. We don't understand uh, how they fit in, probably because uh, most of the time we're trying to understand the phenomenon in the quote unquote normal state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like. There's been there been there have been so few experiments of trying to to uh, pair the UFO phenomenon with psychedelics. I mean, the the, the Richard Strassman with uh, the experiments he conducted on in New Mexico. Interestingly enough, by uh, in 1995, I think that by the same time that uh, Graham Hancock was coming up with the, the, his book Fingerprints of the Gods, so uh, there hasn't really been any meaning, meaningful follow-ups, right? But I that feel we, that, we know of. that we know of, right? And on the, the on the other hand, you know, uh, if you go to any of Graham Hancock's uh, presentations, uh, he often uh, shows slides uh, with the artwork of someone like Pablo Amaringo, who was this uh, Amazonian uh, artist. He was, uh, he used to be an ayahuasquero, you know, so mm-hmm. this uh, pe- uh, person that was uh, instructed in the ways of Amazon- Amazonian shamanism, and he knew how to use and make uh, the ayahuasca brew. And he would often, in the, he eventually, after uh, being an ayahuasquero, he then become, became a, uh, an artist. Uh, he started to paint the visions that he had uh, under the influence of ayahuasca. And many times uh, in his art, he would portray uh, what looked like flying saucers, right? So there is definitely a connection. Uh, I'm growing more and more certain of this as I grow older. I think this is the way that we should approach uh, this phenomenon, that we should investigate them. I'm really tired of the old guard idea of only uh, asking questions like, oh, where, where, uh, what shape the, the object uh, you saw you know had you know uh, so uh, how did it hover you know and, and on all mm-hmm. of that we need to okay we need to keep asking those questions but we also need to start broadening our scope 
you know, into seeing the role of consciousness into all of these. I, I really think that uh, shifting the paradigm of, con paradigm of consciousness is uh, even more important than trying to understand uh, the reality of the UFO phenomenon. I, th I think that if we manage to do that, that we manage to finally acknowledge that consciousness is non-local, consciousness is not generated by the human brain, that consciousness survives physical death, then uh, many, if not all, the answers of the UFO phenomenon will start will will start falling into place you know we will fi finally manage to look into reality with with a different perspective and may maybe you know these entities will say to us oh what took you so long you know to, <laughs> to finally catch up that it's that's been the whole point uh-huh yeah i agree i agree do you think oh, i'm gonna ask you two more questions I think we've been going mm -hmm. for only two hours now. This is amazing. I'm loving it. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there was an overlap between MK Ultra back in the day and and UFOs? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Maybe. I mean, maybe people who were, if you go into the narrative of the MJ12, mm -hmm. uh, which I think you know. 99% of the whole Majestic 12 thing is bullshit. Mm -hmm. There might be a 1% that is actually factual. But if you go into all of that and you go into all of the things about MKUltra, the things that we know of, which is like, like the tip of, of this ginormous iceberg, you know, I mean... Mm -hmm. This, uh, the the uh, the head of the CIA ordered all these files about MKUltra to be burned and destroyed when they had all these hearings, right? So whatever we know about MKUltra is only a, a, a tiny fraction of whatever of what actually happened. So yeah, that that is definitely something that I keep in the open. That it. If I have a gray basket, this is in my darker gray area. <laughs> Do you think that um, as we uh, increase technologically, so, so, so we're just talking about um, extending our perceptions with, with you know, chemicals, with psychedelics, and let's just fold in magical rituals as well. Uh -huh. Do you think that um, transhumanism, basically, that if we can, you know, augment our technologically enable further senses, we'll, we'll be able to see things about the UFO phenomenon or, or feel or sense, you know, instead of just our basic uh, five senses when we start just being able to add them up, add onto them, that we'll be able to penetrate further into the mystery? It's an interesting, it's an interesting question, but then, you know, now uh, when you were talking about uh, furthering our technology, mm -hmm. I was reminded of these uh, accounts of uh, this guy who wrote, uh, this, uh, who tried to collect uh, the stories about the Celtic traditions of the Fey folk. I think mm -hmm. it was uh, 
Wentz. You know, uh, Jacques Vallée uh, mentions that book heavily on Passport to Magonia, and all those accounts acknowledge the fact that the faith folk, the good neighbor, you know, the, the gentry, started to leave our world or started to hide away from us as our civilization started to grow and started to invade their territories, you know. So they started to disappear uh, right into the 1850s and so, you know. That's when people started to re very rarely keep seeing the fake folk. So I don't know, maybe that if you take that into account, you could conclude that technology actually cloud us from this other world, from this other reality. You know, this we are keeping, we are keep adding layers of uh, of 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 materialism mm. into our eyes that distract us from from the deeper truths that are not perceived through technology, but are through, perceived through other means like, I don't know, uh, spiritual means for a lack of, lack of a better, better world. No, for sure. That's, that's a very good point. I mean, if everyone's always staring at their iPhones or whatever. Exactly. Notice a UFO? Exactly. And, uh, oh, and, and then you get into the whole, you know, Facebook running its own little psychological experiments. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the, the whole thing about transhumanism uh, is something that I've been thinking about for the last, I don't know, three, four years. You know, I, I'm like Whitley River in that regard, you know, going full circle here. I go back and forth between hating and loving the idea of transhumanism. I'm, I mean, I hate the idea that transhumanism seems to be driven nowadays by rich people in Silicon Valley who are trying to find a way to, to get attain immortality. Never mind that, you know, that immortality will only be uh, acquired by the 1% of the humanity. You know, the rest of us, you know, will just be, you know, left to our means, as always. But on the other hand, the idea that uh, consciousness could be like attuned to a quote unquote artificial brain that had mm -hmm. enough complexity, you know, the same way that, you know, if, we, if you subscribe to the idea that consciousness permeates everything, you know, that we are, like, inhabiting this sea of consciousness and that our brains are only, like, antennas receiving or, mm -hmm. or, or, or attuning to this field of consciousness. And so, okay, our brains are uh, uh, biological in nature. They were grown by... Uh, uh, very specific uh, process. What if we could uh, build uh, a brain with other materials, but it was just as complex or just as you know intricate that it could also attune into this sea of consciousness? That is something that I've been thinking about 
a lot in the last few years, you know, and I, I, I'm trying to keep that question open. I used to to reject that idea. I just I used to remember that uh, uh, that movie about. Remember the the movie by, uh, by uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Sixth Day. You know, it was a movie about human cloning. Mm. So it was a movie about you know how the rich people will have you know this uh, infinite stockpile of bodies in which they could. Uh, download their consciousness into. Uh, but that movie itself also showed how those uh, that downloading itself, it was just like uh, burning, burning a CD, you know? It's just a copy. It's, it's, it's not the original, right? Uh, so I used, to, I, I used to think about uh, artificial intelligence and, trans, and transhumanism in those terms. But now I'm not really that sure, you know, to be honest. I mean, I, I'm still very, uh, I guess, against the, the push of uh, transhumanism by, by, uh, for its sociological, societal implications. I mean, I live in a third world country. I know that nowadays uh, there are people in the world whose like expenses at least twice as much as people who live in the less developed worlds. So with something as transhumanism, you could say that those people, you know, those people's life expectancy could, you know, triple, quadruple, or maybe, you know, become like infinite. And mm. the pressure of that into our world, you know, could be completely disruptive. You know, these these guys could become immortal, while the rest of of the world, you know, will be like ants. You know, and so those are the things that really make me look to transhumanism in in a in a really really suspicious way. But on the other hand, I remember that movie, um, the first Star Trek movie. Uh, Star Trek the motion picture in which you know the 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 crew of the Enterprise uh, go and encounter Beecher, you know this uh, mechanical super being that is uh, uh, threatening the life of all, of all the humans on planet Earth. And spoiler alert here, Beecher turns out to be the Bojager Bojager probe that has managed to attain consciousness and has managed to attain all the knowledge of the universe. And it's only, the only thing that is left to, for it is to pair itself with its creator, another human being, you know, and mm -hmm. in order to create another, another form of, uh, of life, you know, uh, something that transcends the boundaries of uh, time and space, biology and matter, right? Seeing transhumanism in those in those uh, perspective, in that perspective, in the, in those ideas, is really interesting. The same way that I, I think Interstellar tried to portray transhumanism, and that that appeals to me. Not the uh, Ray Kurzweil spiel, but the interstellar, you know, mm -hmm. the idea of, of transhumanism.
Definitely. No, I'm the same. I think our views are pretty much identical there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to, you know... Do, do you watch Battlestar? Galactica? Yeah. The last one, yeah. The, um, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Do you remember there's that rant that um, the guy from Quantum Leap gives... I forget what his name is. Cabal or something. He's like, I want to see gamma rays and I want to, you know, feel the stars and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Like, that would be cool. That's, yeah. that's, that's my version of transhumanism. Not yeah, exactly. forever on Mars or, or whatever with, you know, robot servants. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, the person who uh, expressed this idea more elegantly was Arthur C. Clarke. In the first uh, uh, batch, in the first draft of uh, 2001, you know how he talked about uh, the beings that he called the first, the firstborn. You know the guys who ended up uh, uh, leaving the monoliths on on the moon and the monolith on on, on orbit with Jupiter. You know the one that took. Uh, David Bowman, you know, into his mm-hmm. space project. It, it talking about how eventually, you know, they became like, you know, uh, beings of energy because they they managed to reach the 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 limits of of, of matter, right? You know, it wasn't enough, and that in itself. It's not unlike what people like. I mean, theologians like Thaylor, the the Chardin were were speaking about when they were talking about the Omega point. You know, the idea that uh, if you think about it, you know, uh, you could see this point at the end of time. Not unlike what Terence McKenna was talking about with this, you know, uh, with with his theory about 2012, this point of the end of time that is drawing all matter into itself. And if you want to call that point of the end of time God, go ahead, you know, I mean, Mm. all the same, you know, but it's something that it seems to be driving uh, the universe into ever more complex systems, you know, more complex, and in my idea, more complexity means more, more consciousness, right? The human brain is, as far as we know, the more complex uh, organization of, of living cells that in the universe. So it's, from our point of view, the uh, biggest uh, node of consciousness that we know of, but it seems to me that the universe is trying to find uh, m- more ways into reach a higher degrees of complexity, and that in itself seems uh, reaches uh, higher degrees of consciousness. Which is why you should watch Sensei. I know. <laughs> okay, so I'm not. I'm not going to to. As soon as we disconnect, I'm going to watch the first chapter of Sensei. So I'm going to ask you one big long question. Okay. And then and then I'm, I'm going to let you go watch Sensei. Okay. So you just went to a conference recently. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah the International UFO Con Congress at uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And Jacques Vallée was there? Jacques Vallée was, was there. You know, I, I think it was his first public appearance in one of these kind of events in, I don't know, 10, 12 years at the most, at the least. So how was it? <laughs> what 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 is what does he what did he have to say and what was your overall take on the whole on the whole deal? Well, to be honest, I mean I did buy the weekend pass to the Congress, but I think we only Greg Bishop and I only attended like uh, probably three <laughs> three oh, wow. presentations, including Jack Valet. I mean, to be honest, I. We saw the program, and we said, oh, I mean, most of this is not really that interesting to us for the reasons that we've been discussing about here recently. I could have watched, you know, the presentation of, of my friends, Nick Redfern, Chase Klutzky, you know, who was there. Uh, and this is, this these are people that I, I know, that I respect, that I'm interested in. But, I mean, hearing David Jacobs discuss his paranoia about alien hybrids, uh, I mean, we, did, we did listen to Chris Rotkowski's presentation. Chris Rotkowski is a Canadian investigator, and I like him. You know, he's very... I don't want to say he is nuts and bolts in his approach, but he is really down to earth. He's really very... I don't know, skeptical in a, in a, in, in a good way, in the, in the way skepticism should be used in not only this field, but many others. So Chris Rokowski's presentation was really good. Uh, the thing about these events, uh, um, Mikey, is the fact that it's not the presentation that you attend, that you sit on your ass, you know, for how many hours listening to. is the interaction that you have with the people afterwards in, in, in the bar on the restaurant you know on the hallways that's the thing that is worth uh the ticket you know that's the the, the fact that we managed to have a really interesting discussions with people like uh, uh people that i already knew like uh, uh david weatherly and and Christopher O'Brien, who is co-host with the Paracast. Gene Steinberg was already there. One, I think, was on Saturday morning. Uh, I managed to chat with him a few hours, and I managed to meet for the first time uh, Clifford Mahuri, as the the Sunni elder who talks about about the the uh, lore of of Native American people with uh, what he calls star people, you know. Clifford was, you know, a, 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 was a delight to hear hear him talk about his personal experiences about, and also how hard it has been to him to 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 learn all all of these traditions that he he mm, has to learn because he has been part of these, you know, uh, I don't know, cabal or or this class of. Uh, people who are entrusted 
with learning the lore of, of, of this the, uh, group of Native, Native American people. So these conversations that happen after the, 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 the presentations are over, are the, are, the, are the reasons why you need to go, one needs to go to, to this event? Because let's be honest, I mean, everything, everything you can find on the internet, you know? There's, uh, everything these people present on these conventions is not really groundbreaking. I mean, meeting ballet was, I mean, the thing that, he's, that he presented with uh, uh, Liz Spiegel on his Q&A was really interesting, you know, but it's not, not something that I was, well, like, completely unaware of. Having a 10 or 15-minute conversation with him, you know, on, on Sunday morning with Greg, that was what really was worth my the the amount of money I spent in order to travel to 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 Arizona and 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 go and meet this legend of the UFO field. You know, I, I, it was really it was really overwhelming. You know, I mean, these guys. You know, it, 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 it's like me meeting like Paul McCartney, the Paul McCartney of ufology. You know. <laughs> It was uh, it was really an honor to to spend a few moments uh, in, in in a private conversation with him, and he was really approachable. He's he seems to be incredibly shy, you know. He's very a, a very private person, but he he was he was really willing to entertain everyone who wanted to have a selfie taken with him. You know, I mean, pro he probably hated he hated it. But he was really cool about it, you know. So kudos to him, and hopefully uh, this will not be the last time he makes a public appearance uh, in one of these events. Because I mean, it was <laughs> it was really interesting to see seasoned ufologists, you know, turn into fanboys, you know, and being so giddy and saying, "Oh my God, Jacques Vallée is here! He's talking as the holy." I'm going to approach him. I'm going to have my sign, my my copy of Passport to Magonia signed. You know, <laughs> it was it makes him look like the ufologist, ufologist, right? You know, it was really, really a, a, a very surrealist experience in many in many regards. You know, I, I'm trying to find the time to write my impressions of that event. And I will post that on the Daily Grail in 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 the future. You know, I mean, probably uh, tomorrow or the next day. But you know, it it was really it was really worth a while, and it was something that I will never regret doing. What did you ask him? Oh, nothing much, right? I mean, uh, I let Greg. Uh, like uh, take the wheels on that because we knew that we have really precious uh, mm. a, a, a few moments with him, you know. So I knew that that moment was more important to Greg than it was in, that to me. I mean, uh, I wanted to ask him about many things. Like for, I wanted to ask him about what happened to Doctor X, right? 
the, the Dr. X that, that he kept uh, mentioning in uh, his books, the guy, the, this French doctor who saw these two uh, uh, flying saucers that kind of like merge into one and then they sent like a beam into him and they cured him of this uh, in, uh, injury that he had from the war and whatever, and, he, and then he started to develop like psychic powers, and he has to. He started to have like uh, encounters with Men in Black and all of that. I, I would have loved to ask him that. I also wanted to ask him about uh, this thing that Greg Bishop mentioned in in the book Project Beta about Doctor Allen Doctor Allen Hynek giving Paul Benowitz. A computer that was supposedly programmed by the Air Force in order to keep deceiving Paul Benowitz into thinking that he could manage to to decode uh, the signals that he thought were being sent by alien beings in order to 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 I don't know uh, start to to organize the invasion to our planet, but it was something that they wanted that they deliberately used in order to up, obfus, obfuscate his mm. endeavors. And this mm. is something that has never been uh, corroborated by anyone. But since Ballet was so close to Heineck, I kind of wanted to ask him that. But, you know, at the time I was so nervous and overwhelmed to be sitting right next to him that, uh, you know, I just forgot about it and I missed my chance. Understandable, man. Understandable. What what was um what do you think's been the biggest thing to change in in terms of the overall sort of consensus, if there is one as such, um at these sort of conferences in terms of topics and, and belief systems or whatever in the last <laughs> I years? think I think that people are actually thinking that the extraterrestrial hypothesis doesn't cut it, you know. I think that uh, in the 1970s and 1960s, people were only trying to corroborate, you know, their already established belief that the UFOs were craft visiting us from other planets. Now I think that people are trying, I finally getting the fact that the UFO phenomenon, like we said at the, at the very beginning, the UFO phenomenon is much more complex and weirder than that. And I think that that message is finally starting to sink in. And hopefully next year, my friend Greg Bishop is going to be one of the speakers at this conference, and also people like, I don't know, Micah Hanks, Joshua Cochin, David Weatherly, Chris O'Brien, Nick Redfern. These are the people that are trying to, to notch this uh, uh, event, this, this uh, the, the discussion, discussion uh, into other more interesting, interesting idea. Doesn't mean that they these guys have the answer. Obviously, I mean, I only listen to people who already acknowledge the fact that they don't have any answers. They are only trying to raise 
interesting questions. Those are the people that I'm interested in listening into. I mean, people like, I don't know, uh, uh, Bassett or, or, or this other guy, Dr. Uh, the other guy who is into disclosure. Uh, no, Greer? it's so, huh? Stephen Greer. Ex Stephen Greer, right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the people I'm not really interested in listening to. I mean, yeah. We need more McKenna's into this field, nor more. Uh, I, mean, I, want, I, I don't want to belittle Bud Hopkins. You know, I mean, I think Bud Hopkins was was uh, really useful and really helpful for a lot of people. I mean, I think he was uh, 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 someone who was there to give a uh, a consoling. Uh, arm or, or, or to listen to people who were dismissed by, by psychiatrists and psychologists, you know, when there was no one there, you know, who were well willing to, to accept the fact that they weren't crazy, you know. I mean, that was Bud Hopkins' uh, value, you know, that was his uh, contribution. I don't have to accept his uh, theories or, or his conclusions, but I think that he uh, he was well intentioned. Uh, probably David, someone even like David Jacobs is well intentioned. But the problem is with that, that David Jacobs is that the whole thing with Emma Woods and all of that. You know, it shows you how your bias is going to force you into, you know, behaviors that end up to being completely messed up. So to return to the idea, to, to the question or, or to the, my main uh, uh, point here is that there are people there who are changing the, the, the discussion. Mufone is not as monolithic and it's not as grounded on the ETH as we used to think so. I mean, I, my friend Cassidy Nicholas, who is, who is a member of MUFON, uh, has shown that, you know, he, he, she had a, 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 an interview with Greg Bishop recently on, on Radio Mysterioso and we're discussing that, how they're not really trying to push the ETH into 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 the things they are investigating, and even Joshua Kochin, you know, he he had a, a presentation on for the Georgia Mufon chapter, you know, and a lot of people there were very receptive to to the message that okay, the ETH doesn't cut it, you know, there are things that we need to take into consideration, so. I think there's hope for that. I mean, whether we manage to find the final answer to the UFO phenomenon, honestly, that's beside the point, to be honest. I mean, I'm 42 years old. I'm really okay with the idea that I'm going to go to my grave without knowing what the answer to the, the UFO mystery is. The UFO mystery has been kind enough into coaxing me into improving many things in my life, my command of another language, for instance, you know, aside, aside from Spanish. 
trying to express myself in English, try to learn as much as I can about history, anthropology, astronomy, uh, physics, biology, genetics, you know, mythology, religion, psychology, and whatever. That to me is the thing that I'm trying to 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 take out of the UFO. I'm not trying to take out uh, the big answers about the universe, the universe, and on and all of that. I'm trying to use the UFO phenomenon as my personal alchemy, as a way to better myself, you know? And if I manage to find a few things, you know, further along the road, so much the better. But the road itself, it's, it, it is its own reward. You know, speaking to people like you, it's, it's the reason why I'm, I'm still interested in the phenomenon. Thank you. That's beautifully put and a great place to end, I think. Um, thank you so much for, for spending some time with me talking about this. Oh, you're welcome, Mike. This has this been del a delightful conversation. And, um, you know, I, I absolutely echo what you said. It, it's all about the quest and the journey and, and the mystery, not mm -hmm. putting it all in a vine or a tweet. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think we've covered so much ground that um, people are going to get a lot out of this. So good luck with everything. And I really look forward to reading the write-up of the conference. And I'll, um, I'll whack it in the show notes, even if it's a, a bit late. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'll try, like I said, you know, I'm trying to go into kick myself out of my laziness. I'm trying to post it as soon as possible. And as soon as I do, I will send you the link. Brilliant. All right, man. We should totally do this again down the track. Perfect. Know, yeah. I've read some more books. <laughs> Can I ask some <laughs> questions? All right. Thank you so much. And uh, you keep well, and we'll talk soon, mate. Okay. All right. Vale. Cheers. Hasta luego. Congratulations, you made it through. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, let's see. Red Pill will be back because, you know, I love repeating guests and I think we've just got started talking there. Um, these are the things you say at the end of a podcast. Stuff like, if you want to subscribe and you're listening for the first time, just go to marky.com slash podcast. That's M1K3Y dot com slash podcast. Um, also, you can get this early on Patreon. Patreon slash Mikey, same spelling. And um, we're all going to die horribly, but, you know, it doesn't matter because the machine gods will save us. Or drink Coke. Okay. Thanks again. See you next time.